Well, hello and welcome to another show, everyone. Today, I am really excited to be joined by James Acaster. James, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Uh, great to have you on the show, James. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer that comedians are some of the world's best storytellers, and stand-up comedy has got to be one of the hardest jobs imaginable. Um, how did you first get into this? Who, who inspired you to, uh, to, to give it a go? Uh, I was just bored. I was just bored and started doing stand-up. Really. I, I, um, I, I was in a band and the band stopped and I didn't want to form another band because uh, I didn't want to organise other people. I was a drummer, couldn't go solo. So I just started doing stand-up, um, not as a long-term thing, really. I started doing it to fill the time and hopefully, you know, I'll figure out what I wanted to do in my life at another stage. But um, I started doing stand-up because then I could say when I was a old man, I could tell my grandchildren that I did stand-up, you know, I think that was, that was it, really, just so I could always have the bragging rights and say that I, did, I tried stand-up comedy once, um, and yeah, it just got, it gets pretty addictive pretty quickly, and uh, I, I, I love it, it's the you know, most enjoyable thing I've ever done now, and uh, yeah, it just kind of, uh, I got obsessed with it, and then it built up from there, really. Brilliant, and so you've been, you've been doing this about eight years, which um, it's not such a long time, considering that, you know, you're you're on the TV. You're doing different shows. Um, you're touring nationally. What What do you think? What's the secret? What What do you think has been the sort of um, the ingredients behind the success? I don't know really. It's quite hard. To, I think you don't really. If you focus on success, I think um, that's when it starts to go wrong, uh, and that's when what you, your output, you know, will probably uh, cheapen or get worse. I, I think all, all I've ever done is focused on doing the kind of comedy. That I want to do and improving on that and getting better at that and everything else just kind of follows that really so it's it's, it's quite good when I, when I was in bands I used to focus a lot on you know going to get a record deal and going to play this festival and you know all, all these things that we were going to do with our careers and success and uh, I didn't really enjoy it as much as I could have enjoyed it and then when I started doing stand-up I just focused on stand-up and just that they're just getting better at that and there's never any long-term plans for anything so i think you know maybe you know the, the reason why uh, i've got tv stuff and other things is just because i've focused on the the actual standard itself and making that as good as possible and uh making that as um unique sounds a bit big-headed but like tr try and just do your own thing as much as you can, because that's what people want to see. Definitely in a stand-up, that's what people want to see, is someone just doing their own thing and not uh, trying to be like anyone else. Yeah, I guess that that is the... Um, that's that's one of the most difficult things to, to achieve, really, sort of originality, isn't it? Uh, but I guess you have got quite um, a unique style about you. I mean, and, and I guess there's two parts of that, isn't it, uh, I suppose, the the actual delivery, the performance, the timing, and the um, all all of that good stuff. But then um, you make comedians make make a performance look natural sometimes off the cuff and all the rest of it. But there's an incredible amount of writing and planning and, and structuring that goes into into comedy. I, I would I would imagine. How, how much time do you uh, commit to, to to writing and and have you got a, a sort of a process or a technique that you always follow? Um, not really. Um, there's not, I don't, I guess I don't really spend loads of time 
sitting down and writing either. Uh, I, I used to, and I used to really stress myself out about it. And uh, but it, it, each show's different. So my first, I've done six solo shows now. And my first solo show, uh, you know, it was basically a, a best of of what I'd done so far. I've been going up for about two and a half, three years. And it was still the material I'd written on. I, I used to just make notes in my notebook all the time and then, write and rewrite every routine verbatim and then you know go on stage and, and do it like that and uh that was my first show and then the second show i had to write a show in a year it was the first one I'd ever written a show just in a year so i pretty much just wrote uh all year i'd sit down in front of a computer and i'd write these routines rewrite them and just going out and doing them all the time and uh because uh because i i'd never written a show in a year before the, the aim was just to write a show in a year so i didn't really put pressure on myself for it to be good and I think as a result it then came out very well and it was a much better show than my first one and in my third show I thought well, I've got to repeat that same technique again so trying to sit down and write every day because the second show had actually gone quite well I felt a lot of pressure on the third show and then the whole year I was just too stressed out and all you know I was uh, every time I did you know keep on rewriting it nothing was funny I wasn't really relaxed enough to work on it and enjoy it and um it went well and it turned out good but i didn't enjoy the writing process of it and then i didn't enjoy performing it either and just associated the whole show with being stressed so the fourth show i didn't do any of that i, I didn't write anything down and i just spent a year just trying to live my life and, and uh i would you know kind of just naturally think of ideas in my head make a vague note of them in a notebook and then go to a gig and go on stage and just kind of run with that idea on stage and record it and then listen back to it and then write down what the funny bits were and then try and recreate that and just keep on doing that over and over again until I've honed routines and that's been my technique for the last three shows has been doing it like that so there's actually not a great amount of sitting down and writing that takes place it's uh a lot of it is um thinking of ideas as I'm walking along and then going on stage and trying to communicate the funny idea to the audience because um, half of it is that, you know, you can write stuff that's funny on the page, but you say it out loud, it doesn't make any sense, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that someone would speak like that or that you would speak like that. And so you've got to just be on stage and read the room at the time and try and communicate the ideas to them. And then, you know, often you listen back to it and you go, oh, yeah, it's not, that's not something that written down would be very funny, but uh, out loud and said in that way, it is, and you, you keep it in there like that instead. Well, I mean, it's an incredibly brave thing to do to um, to test out material in front of a live audience. But I guess ultimately, that's the that's the only litmus test that that counts and that matters, really. I mean, is is it a case of you will continually refine based on the reaction of an audience as well? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you got to um, you know also allow for different types of audiences. You can't just always do what the audience wants because the audience is going to always change. So um, if something's just never working, then you've got to get rid of it. But if something works most of the time and in other rooms in front of certain audiences, it doesn't. If you like it enough, you should keep it in. And, uh, and also sometimes, you know, you get a bit that works all the time in front of everybody and you don't like it. And personally, I like to just get rid of it. You know, if I don't personally like the routine, I don't really care if the audience keep on laughing at it all the time. I think get rid of it because uh, I'm not going to enjoy having to do it over and over again. So 
Uh, and as always, you know, as a stand-up, you get to do a lot of other stuff. You get to write scripts for radio or TV, or you get to go on a panel show. You can always use that funny routine somewhere else. You don't have to put it in your solo shows. So sometimes I think it's good to decide not, you know, not to go all day like it. Someone's going to keep it in. But sometimes just uh, stick to your own, uh, or trust your own instincts. Yeah, that's that's interesting. One of the guys I was I was telling one of the guys in the team, Rob, that I was going to talk to you today, and he was like, "Oh, ask him if he's ever been asked to write uh, for any for any brands for social media and that kind of stuff." And we're we're starting to see that a little bit more. Do, do you find that um, that writing for brands in social media have you ever been asked to do anything like that? Um, I was asked to do that once and said no. Um, yeah, it's not my thing. I don't want to do. I, I, I don't really. I'm on Twitter, but I don't particularly like it. Um, at the moment, I'm on there a lot, and I'm actually finding it useful for the first time for all this stuff that's going on uh, with, the, with the government at the moment and with the referendum. Um, it's good to keep on top of what's, you know, what's happening. You know, today, I was watching uh, the tweets roll in when Boris Johnson said he wouldn't run for prime minister. So like, I like it for that, and I like, I like it for updating that kind of stuff. But I don't really... I think, I think the whole promotional stuff on Twitter is kind of superstitious i don't think it, it really does much and uh and it kind of just feels a bit gross the whole thing just feels a bit icky the you know the thought of writing for for people's tweets to promote their business or sell things is absolutely not why i started doing stand-up comedy and uh yeah i really i really wouldn't want to do anything like that yeah fair enough but it must be great for inspiration like you know in terms of observational comedy and like the sort of storytelling situational stuff that you you tend to do what twitter yeah i mean like today you you're watching um the the politics unfold and that kind of stuff do you, do you find that that inspires you to to create new material at all or, or not uh everything does so yeah it's kind of like you can't really value that above any other experience in your life really i i, I think i get ideas just pop up from anywhere and you don't know where they're going to come from. It's not like a thing that I try and control. Also, like, you know, you don't want to... When I first started out in stand-up, I didn't really understand how to do it. I was trying to make everything funny in my whole life. Everything that happened, I was trying to think, how can I make that funny? And I was just absolutely doing my head in. And uh, now you just, you just develop a filter where uh, you can just, you know, absorb the world normally and every now and again, you know, something jumps out and it's like, oh, that... I, I could I could talk about that on stage, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I think at, at the minute with all this stuff that's going on, you're just reading about it, and uh, you know, just like if, you know, if you're reading the newspaper as well uh, and things like that, and talking to people, and um, it inevitably will come out on stage at some point, and I'll probably I'll probably talk about it. But if it if it doesn't suit me to talk about it on stage, I won't do it. But um, I've got some routines about the the referendum uh, that suit my persona and that. You know, doesn't you know? It's not like I suddenly turn into a political comic, you know, and uh, they're, they're staying in. But um, yeah, otherwise it's more you've got to kind of separate that a bit from your. You can't just be always thinking about uh, creating new stuff all the time. Yeah, no, I, I guess so. I mean, that would be a rod for anyone's back, I guess. But you do strike me as a sort of type of person, um, the sort of persona that you project on stage, as somebody who could make a story out of pretty much pretty much anything. And do you think that's just how your mind works, um, especially with sort of improv and, and that kind of thing? Or yeah, probably. I mean, I, when uh, my parents said that when I was little and I had like Lego and stuff like that. 
that I wasn't interested in building anything with the Lego. I mean, I'll just get the characters and put them on the windowsill and do uh, stories with them. And uh, I, um, I tried to get into football when I was a, a kid. And um, I really support, I, I support Manchester United because my dad did uh, until I was 13 and I just lost interest completely. And that was because when I was 13, Manchester United won the treble. And it was this amazing story the whole year. It was just amazing thing about at the start of the season. Alan Hansen was saying that they couldn't win anything with the kids that they'd got in the team. Everyone's too young. You don't win anything with kids. And everyone's saying Andy Cole was awful. And that Teddy Sherman had gone to Manchester United and done nothing. And you know, now he's on the bench and all these things. And then, uh, you know, Dwight York joined and him and Andy Cole formed this partnership that were unbeatable. And all the kids in the team, like Beckham and uh, the Nevilles and Nicky Bunsen, were, were killing it. And, and it's like some of the best players in the premiership and then like uh, Teddy Sheringham came on and substitute in two finals and scored in the last minute of, uh, of the European Cup final and it was just such a great story the whole thing it was this perfect story and then the next season it was just boring and I lost interest and I realised I'm not into sports and I, I like stories and that's what I like so I think yeah my, my mind probably just naturally works like that and um, I've always uh, been drawn to that kind of stuff yeah but it's I mean it when um, when I've seen you do uh, improv on on the TV, that, I mean that seems like a superpower to me. How just how, how does how do you go about being presented with something and instantly being able to to react? Is is there a technique to that? Can you learn or? Um, I, I haven't learned any techniques. There are improv techniques that people learn, and I'm sure that I probably do them without knowing it. Um, but uh, you just kind of, I think it's part of. I was someone who was always trying to be funny all the time growing up, and I wasn't, I probably wasn't funny until I was, you know, I don't know, probably <laughs> until I actually started doing stand up. I wasn't making my friends laugh until I was a teenager. I definitely was working primary school and stuff, I was the weird kid trying to be funny all the time. So there's a lot of trial and error and trying to figure out how to be funny with people socially, and uh, that just like, I kind of guess never stops, especially when you become a stand-up, it heightens even more. And uh, and you just learn certain techniques for joke writing as well, you know, certain things that you, you can do that you didn't know before, you know, pull back and reveal jokes or, um, or, or you know, a lot, of, a lot of joke writing is comparing one thing to another a lot of the time. And, uh, and you just, the more you do it, I, I, I gig pretty much every night of the year and, you know, you get stuff shouted at you on stage every now and again. And the more you kind of like learn to handle that, the better. But um, but when I, when I started stand-up, I, I just kind of, that was the only thing I could do was react on the spot weirdly. I, I couldn't really do anything else. I wasn't good at writing and I wasn't good at performing. But if, if, I, if something was happening in the room, I was good at that. And uh, I, don't, I think that's just... Yeah, that's something that I don't really know. I think it's been in the band and like we used to have a lot of bad gigs and a lot of people really hated uh, the music we were playing and we would have to react to it on the spot, on stage a lot of the time. So maybe that was part of it. Um, I was in the Kettering Gang show for a performance that the Scouts put on every year and uh, me and my friends with the clowns would just mess around all the time and you know not pay attention in rehearsal and try and make people laugh constantly and try and one-up each other on jokes. So I think that probably has something to do with it as well. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's never something that I've really, I don't really know 
there's never a thing where I go, right, they've done that, so now I've got to take it in this direction. I think the, the only thing I've learned in terms of improv is that it's better to run with something than block it. So, you know, if I'm on a panel show with other comics and um, someone says something, it's funnier to agree with them and run with their idea and take it somewhere else rather than go, no, and then just block the idea dead. Uh, that's the only thing that I'm consciously aware of that I do. That's, that's a, I guess it's, yeah, just you, you agree with it and just, just build on, on what they've said. I guess that, that kind of makes sense. Um, what, what, you mentioned hecklers. What's, what's the best sort of heckle that you've, you've heard? And, and what, what's the sort of the most satisfying comeback that uh, you, you have up your sleeve? Uh, I haven't got any comebacks up my sleeve, really. Um, it's just you deal with it on its own individual merit when it happens. When, you know, people are heckling for loads of different reasons, and sometimes people have, you know... Not, to be honest, I don't know any comic who has a set comeback that they use because of a good idea. I think on the very few occasions where I've seen people use set comebacks, it doesn't really work because... Um, uh, that you, you know, the person could be heckling just because they're enjoying it and they're getting excited and they want to join in and your, you know, your stock comeback is basically, you know, shut up and sit down or what, or something horrible to them and uh, you've misread the situation then and it didn't really work and uh, so, like, I kind of just, yeah, I've never had a, a, a set thing that I always say um, and in terms of good heckles, uh, to be honest, I uh, I can't really remember any good ones. There haven't really been any. I mean, you know, it's not, that's not the idea, you know? A lot of the time, the ones that I think I think are funny are just because the person shouting it is a pretty stupid thing to shout and they look stupid and it's just funny that what a stupid situation we're in now. But it's not like that was a good... I've never seen something where I've gone, good heckle, nice one, mate. <laughs> like, I've never... There's never been a moment where I've been like, yeah, got that right that's a really good heckle I'm glad you shouted that out you know it's mm. it's always because they're not the kind of people who do it the kind of people who think of actual funny stuff don't shout it because they're, they're intelligent enough to understand how the, the environment is meant to work but it's the people who don't really get comedy and they, and they think that you're supposed to heckle and so they just shout out and also no one's ever turned around to them in their social group and said shut up you know, no one's ever gone, mate, just tone it down. There's the annoying person in their group, everyone's got to put up with it, and that's that. And then they just shout out because no one's ever said to them, you really shouldn't do that kind of stuff. And then uh, and then you just got to deal with it when it happens. So, yeah, I've not really... I, 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 yeah, I, I think we always get asked what our favourite heckle is. And, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, less and less... Uh, each year, I actually hear good heckles. <laughs> I guess that's right. You know, it's always the uh, there's one in every group, isn't there? They're just a loudmouth idiot, really. Hugely, there's a few drinks involved as well. I, I, I guess it must. Uh... Yeah, and I used to get way too personal with those people. When I was an open spot and I was just starting out in stand up, I, I saw Daniel Kitson, who's an amazing comedian, uh, deal with someone very harshly, but it was very funny. I didn't really understand at the time that uh, that suited his persona to do that but it doesn't suit mine. And uh, I would I would just get so personal with people and I would say to them, you know, you, you, I'd, if it was like a big, tough guy hexing me, I'd completely just be like, you know, you're, you just 
kind of guy who just bullies everyone and everyone at work hates you and everyone in this room hates you and, and just be so cutting and horrible without actually knowing this person. And, uh, and yeah, now it would take a lot to, someone would have to completely go out of their way to ruin the night for everyone for me to say something like that to them. Um, yeah. Okay. You mentioned before, um, pull back and reveal, um, what what what's that? That sounds like some sort of technique that you would um, use a structure to to sort of design design a joke. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's just, so it's when you lead people down one path and you pull back and reveal that the the picture is a, a completely different. So it's it's like when people say uh, an old version, an old joke of it would be when people would be like, "Oh yeah, school school was awful. I used to used to get called all kinds of names, ginger, big nose, and that was just the teachers." Uh, so like that's that's the kind of the the, the standard one that that uh, is like quite an old one. People do say, so, you know, everyone thinks that the kids are calling him ginger and big nose, but then it turns out it was the teachers, and that's funnier. Uh, so yeah, it, it's that kind of stuff really. Where it's just like you think one thing, and then they flip it, and it's a different uh, different picture. I, th- I guess um, misleading an audience and building anticipation is a is a big part of it, really. I mean, that's 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 tends to be the one of the, the, the key skills. How, how else do you do yeah. that? Is it, is, it, is it just natural? Are there any other sort of techniques that you can use to mislead an audience and, and build anticipation? I think my main thing has been not doing that too much, trying not to do that too much. I think my, my issue every year is that I try too much to mislead them and then pull the rug all the time. And actually sometimes in comedy, it's quite good to give them a glimpse of where you're going with it so that they get the joke quicker and they, they get on board with the observation a bit more. So I, I always used to try to hide the punchline for them as best as I could. But that just meant like, it came out of absolutely nowhere and didn't make, cause they hadn't made the journey there. And so you've got to kind of, you've got to leave them almost, you've got to lead them to the door and then open it rather than just kind of like out of nowhere bringing something out and they weren't expecting it. So um, I think... Ways of like misleading them. Um, it's not. It, there's like I, I think quite quite a few different techniques, I guess. But like I'm not not sure that any of them are. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Actually, actually, that's quite quite a tough one. I think that a lot of the time now, I yeah, I, my main thing is not not misleading them too much and trying to kind of like because I kind of try and bring them into this world that I've created that's like, you know, not quite the same as the world we're all used to. So it's a bit of a skewed universe. Yeah. Um, that, that, that alone is enough of a surprise and, and unusual enough so that the thinking is a little bit lopsided and they can, but you still need to, I, I still need to uh, make them believe that the world that they're in. So uh, I don't always wrong foot them a lot of the time. Um, but sometimes it's good to confuse them deliberately and then like uh, reveal what you're actually saying. But it's more... So in my last show, I, I established a group of characters early on in the show that were in the story. And then later on, I had someone saying a line without telling them who the character was. And then the punchline was that I revealed which one of the characters said it. And then it was quite, you know... Uh, then, then, then the joke was funny because it put it in context. Um, but that was like a very quick, just like you know, I've set this up earlier, and now 
doing this bit that you don't understand, but now I'm you know, now I'm putting it into context. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I think I don't do it as much actually as uh, as people maybe think comedians do because uh, you you need to surprise the audience a lot of the time. You can't do the punchline that they've got in their head. But that, that's what I find a lot as well actually is that um, sometimes if you know it's okay for them to guess what the punchline is. But you just need to phrase it better than they could, and that's the surprise a lot of the time. So it's that they expect you to say, you know, I don't know, whatever the string of words, a normal string of words, and you just word it better. You use words that they didn't expect you to use that paints a more vivid picture, because they've already got a picture in their head. So it's almost like you describing it perfectly to them. Uh, makes it even more relatable, and then that catches them off guard and makes them laugh. Yeah, I think I think language, um, the use of language is is with comedians is always really impressive because the the ability to paint a picture with absolute clarity or really nail how something feels so people can can imagine it themselves. You know, I've, yeah. you know, I've, I've seen I've seen that work really well. But I guess I mean one thing you do is you you do create your own world. And I think people find it humorous to to look at the world from your point of view once you've painted that sort of that that scenario and, and that picture. Um, right. And talking to other sort of storytellers from different um, different universes, if you like, different sort of walks of life. A lot of a lot of writers um, talk about creating empathy uh, and making the audience um, like you. Is that something that you do deliberately, or do you th- is that just something? that comedians tend to do naturally? Um, I think I started out really obsessed with them liking me. And my whole thing on stage was just be be a kind of like a, a affable person and just whole thing. And, and that's not me in real life. I'm not going around just being like, hey guys, how's it going? Hey, you're, you're looking good. Great to be here all the time. Like, I don't, I'm not that person. And actually... You know, having them like you isn't, it's not, almost to get them to like you, you have to just not try and be liked, you know. So, like, I I stopped being like that and I started being more deadpan and uh, more disconnected from them. And it started going way, way better. And when I took some steps back from them, they just came to me more. And that suited me a lot more. I think you just got to be in tune with who you are and be true to that. And then the right people will like it and the wrong people won't. It's like if you go to a party, you don't try and get everyone at the party to like you. Some people do, but they're very annoying people at parties. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like, you know, really, you kind of go around and uh, you just see if you connect with anyone. And if you don't, you try and get out the conversation as soon as possible and find someone that you do connect with. And when you do, you hang out with them all night. And, you know... I'm, I'm going to get the audience, you know, whatever audience I gather now, I'm going to be stuck with them for a long time. So I would like them to be people who properly get my sense of humour rather than, you know, people who just like, oh, he's nice. Because, you know, there's some performers who are just super nice and everyone likes them. And, and you just go because you feel like this person's your friend. And I don't, I'm not into that. Like, I, I, I don't really need to go and just be like, oh yeah, this is my buddy on stage. And, and actually the whole thing is a bit, sometimes it can be a bit empty and, you know, I don't really feel like I'm taking anything away from it. I just, I just thought I like someone and actually off days they're probably not even like that, you know. But um, yeah, so I kind of think 
they, they, you don't worry about them liking you. They, you know, the right people will like you and the wrong people won't. And um, Especially if you've got a, a strong character you know, and a strong style, I guess. But if you've replaced sort of trying to be liked with, I mean, you mentioned that sort of deadpan style. I guess what you're replacing with that immediately is, is confidence. How, how important is to show the, the audience confidence? Because, I, I mean, I've been in comedy rooms in, in, in audiences where it's quite apparent that the comedian is, is, is really nervous. And actually, that makes you really cringe and uncomfortable. So is confidence important for, with what you do? Um, yeah, it is. But you can show it in different ways. So, like, you know, I probably don't like it when a performer, um, sometimes a performer might go on and is just like, you know, confident to the point of arrogance. And uh, if that suits the act, then that's really funny. Um, but if it's just at face value and that's just how they are, it's a bit unappealing. I don't really, I don't, you know, I don't really get into that. But then some people love that. You know, there are loads of comics who are very successful who do that kind of performance. Maybe not so much in this country, but uh, in America and stuff, there's a lot of very just confident, self-assured performers who clearly think they're the best, and everyone kind of buys into that. Um, I think it's just being, it's more being comfortable in your own skin and then, you know, you get that, it's, it's great, you know, there's a, you know, because people don't, people show that confidence in different ways, but, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of, if you get the sense that the performer doesn't care almost what, what the audience thinks of them and, you know, is, is being themselves regardless, then that's the sort of confidence that I find appealing watching a, a comic and, um, you can definitely have gigs where sometimes you lose that confidence. But, you know, if you go on in an audience completely on your side, you get, like, such a... Suddenly you just feel invincible and you can just do such a great show and you're performing in ways that, you know, you haven't before because you've got that confidence to follow it through and um, completely be what you want to be. And then there are other gigs where the audience is so dead against you and your confidence vanishes and you, you just do the best you can but, you know, you're basically then, you're completely relying on the writing and the material to get you through that because suddenly your performance and your confidence goes out the window and it's just all of your laughs are just coming from what you've written and what you've prepared. I mean, every, every comedian loses an audience from time to time, I guess. Is there any go-to place yeah. for, for sort of getting them back? Is there a way to s- snap their attention back in the room kind of thing? Or is it literally you will then stick to the script uh, and, and as you say, rely, rely on the, on the writing. Is there any, any other techniques uh, other than that? Sometimes you can reference that it's going badly and they <laughs> really? will find that funny. And, 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 that, and then you can just, uh, you can just, you know, analyze the gig on stage and that will get you to the end of your set and make fun of how bad the gig's been. And, uh, you know, point stuff out like that. That can be quite funny. Um, Otherwise, I've got I've got no backup material. I've got no material that will get me out of these situations. Um, if it's a twenty-minute set, I just get my head down and get to the end. Uh, if it's a solo show, then uh, if, if I'm in a good frame of mind, I'll just keep doing the show and I won't veer from it. And I'll go, no, no, this is the show, and this is you know what I've brought here to do for these people. So you know the right people will come back and see me again, and the wrong people won't. This is fine. Uh, but if I'm in like a tired mood or a bad mood and the show's going really badly, I'll probably just start uh, referencing how badly the show's going and turn it into a completely different show, which I often don't want to do. You know, because then what I find is that I can make a, I can make the night an event like that 
and often, you know, because some people can really enjoy it. But I did it in Shrewsbury on the last show. I've had such a bad feeling. It's been very bad feeling. I started, like, pointing out you know, certain people who weren't liking it and things like that. And uh, it turned to quite an event, and audience members were turning on each other and stuff. And by the end, about a quarter of them gave me a standing ovation. But... On the next tour, I'm not going back there because that's not the kind of show I want to do. I don't want to be this kind of like, you know, just creating a, a happening kind of comic. It's just an event, but the actual comedy is, you know, secondary. Um, so I don't want to go back there because, you know, people who hate it. In that case, I think a lot of the right people would not have liked it. You know, a lot of the people that I want to come back and see me again probably didn't like that night. And uh, a lot of the wrong people probably liked it and would come back. So, um I'm going to give that, you know, give it a year off. So I think for me and my persona, my best plan is to continue doing the show and don't show and don't waver at any point. That's the best thing for me because my persona is uh, high status even though he's an idiot. So um, <laughs> the whole thing has to be that I'm completely confident in what I'm doing and I'm completely convinced by it and that I don't care about their reaction. Otherwise, it stops being being funny. Yeah. Oh, God, you know, I was literally cringing as you were describing it. I mean, just it's testament to just how tough it is being a, a stand-up comedian. You mentioned that you don't sort of sit in front of a laptop much now and sort of force yourself to write. But is it is it such that you know, you're constantly thinking about it, whether it's consciously or subconsciously? Do you find it's you know it's a way of a um, way of life? I'm not consciously always thinking about it. It might be subconscious, um, but uh, I'm certainly not consciously doing it. But um, you just make notes of stuff, and you I just try out stuff all the time. So every little idea. There's, there's a new material night in London called Old Rope on a Monday. I'll go there quite a lot because it's the same audience quite a bit. You can't do the same material you did the week before because it's a new material night so um you've always got to try out whatever little idea you've got and you i'm always surprised at what bits work and what bits don't and um i write way more than i need to for every show and then i cut it back as much as i can um and try and you know get left with the best stuff so uh yeah it's not that i'm always thinking about it but I'm, you know pretty much every night of the week i'm trying stuff out on stage so that's kind of that's your, it's your work time when you're thinking about it and you're working it out and then maybe on the way back. You know, yesterday I did a work progress show for an hour and then uh, I was thinking about it a lot on the tube home, what bits worked, what bits didn't. And then like, because my mind was in that kind of you know, headspace, I, I got on the laptop and I got home and I looked through my set list and was like, okay, actually I'm going to put this bit back in, I'm going to take this bit out. That bit there, that you know, it doesn't link very well. So I've got to write a better link between this material and that material. Cause, you know, and, and so just kind of, assessing how the gig went and going okay t tonight so you know tonight and today i'm going to try uh you know those those things that i i've corrected but yesterday i tried a load of new things and pretty much none of them worked um but you go well, it's good to that i tried those that's what the work in progress shows for comedians can't practice at home we have to practice in front of an audience you know right i tried it it didn't work uh so on to the next idea and just keep on doing that wow so much that goes into it you know but i guess to be able to pull off that type of entertainment, it's almost like, you know, high-wire stuff with no safety net. I mean, it's um, it's, it's incredible. You mentioned um, before uh, recording that um, you're getting ready ready for Edinburgh at the moment? Yes, yeah, getting ready for the festival in August, yeah. Yeah, and then um, you're touring the UK from September, is that right? Yeah, from September through to December, and, uh, yeah, hopefully um, we'll do some more dates after that, but for now, that's the, that's the tour.
Brilliant. And you're coming to Liverpool in uh, October, I see. So I'll um, I'll be sure to catch Hello. you uh, in, in Liverpool. And I think it's is it I think it's the middle of October. You're in Liverpool. I'm looking forward to Liverpool. It'll be one of the places where my referendum material will probably go well. Uh, I think uh, I'm currently looking at this this tour and going, okay, that routine is going to struggle in most of these places, but in in London. Brighton, Liverpool, Bristol and Manchester, I'm okay. And Scotland. <laughs> I'm sure it'll go well wherever you do, you do it, James. It's, do you know what, James? It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, before you go, just um, tell, tell us uh, where can we find out more about you and, um, and, and follow your stuff. Uh, my website's jamesacaster.com. There's a gigs list page there. That's pretty much the only page that gets updated. The rest of it's been neglected awfully. But there's a, a gig list in there on the, the gigs page. And um, I'm on Twitter at, at jamesacaster. But uh, at the minute, it's mainly retweeting news stories. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for join, joining me, um, James. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. That's it for uh, another week. Join us again next time and take care. Thanks a lot.